From Accelerate, this is Restore Your Power to Succeed, a podcast to help restoration professionals succeed both personally and in business. I am Rachel Stewart. I spent 12 years in the industry growing a restoration company from $1.5 million to over $20 million in annual revenue before founding Accelerate, an industry job management system to help contractors be successful by addressing the technology gaps that I faced every day. This podcast is dedicated to teaching everything I and other top performers in the industry have learned. From leadership and personal growth to industry-specific pain points, this podcast is for everyone. So let's get started as we restore your power to succeed. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number two of Restore Your Power to Succeed. A couple of weeks ago, I had a friend in the industry text me to ask a question about work orders. Through this back and forth conversation, it eventually led to a phone call where the real question was about profitability, how to run, scale, and sustain a profitable restoration company. And for anyone who has done it, you know that this is harder than it seems. Today, we are going to talk about one of the most important things I think you can do to grow a profitable restoration company. You need to know your numbers. I can't stress this enough. I started off my career in restoration doing the bookkeeping. I knew nothing about restoration, and that was with a capital N, nothing. My crash course into the industry was trying to make sense of an accounting department that was non-existent and books that hadn't been reconciled since, (laughs) well, ever. But if I had to create a training course for every future GM or officer of a restoration company, it would be to start this way. The education became invaluable to me later as I was managing, and it taught me so much about the business we were in. Not only was it amazing to helping me in my own career path and in leadership, but as others in the industry would ask for input or advice, I would always start with their numbers. In a lot of cases, assuming that their books were at least somewhat clean, I could look at a P&L, ask a few key questions, and quickly be able to identify the main pain points a restoration company was experiencing. It was the quickest way to get to the root of the problem. And side note, if you're in a field position or you want to advance someday as a department head or even as a general manager, do what you can to learn this stuff now. Learn how to read a PL. It will be invaluable and set you apart from other potential candidates. So a deep understanding of your PL and balance sheet are things you have to know. This is number one. Okay, another number that you should look at is what is your mix? What percentage of work do you do that's mitigation versus recon or contents or mold remediation? And does your counting program reflect this? This is one of those things that happened way too late in the game for us. Had we broken this out earlier, then we would have made some much different decisions and grown so much faster. If you're using QuickBooks, then please be using the class field to identify the service line. If you don't know how to do this or would like a tutorial about this, then shoot me an email. We'll put my email in the show notes and then we can get a webinar going if there's enough interest. You should be able to produce a P&L for each one of your service lines. Most companies that aren't doing this don't realize that they may have one line of work carrying another. What do I mean by this? 
Well, they may feel that they're profitable in a service line. And I said, feel in quotations. It may also be their biggest source of revenue. But when you actually dig into those numbers, in reality, it may be being propped up by another service line. They may be better off closing that line entirely down and taking a huge hit to their revenue, and they would still be more profitable. This is a hard pill to swallow, and I'm not suggesting that this should be your first step, but at least knowing where you are can help you find and navigate the right approach to solving your problem. Next one, are you doing WIP accounting? If you are doing any type of long-term project, so basically anything besides emergency services, you need to be doing WIP accounting. If you don't know what that is or how you should be going about that, then also reach out and I will get you some information. This podcast and our mission at Accelerate is about helping contractors succeed. Yes, we do that through our software, but we also do that through collaboration and knowledge share. Okay, essentially what WIP accounting does for you is it allows you to recognize revenue at the appropriate time. Let's say your company lands a $150,000 fire loss and with permits and everything, you decide this is going to be about a five-month project. When do you invoice the job? At the beginning? At the end? At what point is it recognized on the P&L? WIP accounting allows you to recognize it at the time that the work is actually getting completed, when you're paying your subs or your in-house labor or you're purchasing materials. If you don't do that, then you may have a job with all the expenses in a couple months and the revenue in another month. And because of that, your financials will have huge peaks and valleys and you won't ever be able to get a sense of where you truly are. So this may be old news for you. I hope it is but you will be surprised at how many restoration contractors I run into that aren't using WIP accounting. When we come back, we're going to move away from our financials and look at other numbers that will help scale and grow your restoration company. My name is Kevin Hussey. My company is United Fire and Water Damage. We're out of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I've been in business since 1999. Prior to coming on board with Accelerate, we were using a platform, uh, an application that was not specific to restoration, didn't have uh, many of the, the tools that we need that are specific to the industry. And we were at a point in our company where we needed a tool that was a little more robust. That was Kevin Hussey with United Fire and Water, based out of Louisiana. You may be working through similar operational challenges with your own restoration business. Maybe a lack of documentation in the field, the inability to track time for crews, overly complicated job management systems, or something entirely different. You can overcome any business challenges that you face. You can grow a profitable restoration business, and you can do all of that with Accelerate Restoration Software. So we made the move over to Accelerate and and we really have seen some benefit from having those specific things within Accelerate like KPIs, like uh, time tracking for estimate submission and our guys checking in at a a job site so we know the cost of of our labor per job. Accelerate just really has a lot more in the way of of tools that are specific to our industry. I I think overall the, the, the reception to the technology in the field has been great by by our staff. 
Accelerate is helping restorers like Kevin and United Fire and Water to restore their power to succeed through a more intuitive user experience, through innovative restoration technology specifically designed for our industry, and through results that just speak for themselves. You've got technicians in the field that are performing water damage restoration services, and, and that picture has to be painted to the estimator, has to be painted for our administrative people who submit the billing, who ultimately have to demonstrate to the carrier, this is what we did for this project. We have to be able to, to show them specifically what we did and justify what we did in order to be able to, to get paid. And that's what Accelerate really done a great job for us with, is, is painting that picture for the carrier so that we can, we can justify what we've done and get paid as a company. Restore your power to succeed in restoration with Accelerate Restoration Software. Click the link in the show notes to request a demo today. Okay, we're back. Few numbers are as vital as your sales numbers. Do you know the percentage of business that comes from each work source? What is your percentage that comes from agents or property managers or TPAs? Is it one TPA? Is it multiple TPAs? Is it one carrier inside the TPA? Are you wanting to expand that? How much is coming from specific targets that you have identified? Do you have specific targets that you're going after? Are you intentional about how you are growing your revenue? Not all revenue is created equal. Sometimes the most powerful word we can say is no. And I know that it's so hard to turn down work, but saying no to certain clients or certain lines of work can free you up to focus on the work that you want and the type of growth you are targeting. So now that we have discussed a couple of numbers that are important, let's look at it as a whole. Because all of these numbers are important, but what is really important is how they connect together. My friend wanted to have a profitable restoration business. We all do. Quite quickly, the discussion that he and I were having about work orders turned into a discussion about marketing and bringing in new work. His solution to the problem in his business was, well, I just need more work. If I can get to X number in revenue, then my problems will be solved and I'll be profitable. But as we dug into these numbers, my hope was for him to be able to see that just adding revenue wasn't going to fix his problem. He was just going to be leaving a bigger amount of money on the table. Once we were able to establish what his mix of revenue was and what his profit margins were, we were able to see quite clearly that he was not making money in a certain service line. In fact, we weren't even sure if he was breaking even in that category. Adding additional jobs and additional revenue in that department would just compound the problem. Instead, he needed to take a step back and evaluate what the source of the problem was so he could fix it now, put measurables in place to track that the fix was working, and have safeguards in place to keep from sliding. Then he would not only be able to be profitable now, but as he grew, it would be in a way that was actually positive. On a side note, people, reconstruction is brutal. It's hard to make the margins you want. On paper, it may look all rosy and pretty, but my guess would be there are a lot of costs that aren't falling into place on your P&L, and especially when you're specifically costing individual jobs. They don't show up on the P&L. The first that's often missed is the cost of estimating. 
this is a conversation I have all the time with friends in the industry. Is it above the line? Is it below the line? Do you know the amount of time your estimators spend to estimate? Come to an agreed scope and sell the job. If you aren't tracking that, then I would say you should start tracking that. And I would also tell you to be prepared to be shocked at the inefficiency of that process. And this is coming from someone who already knew that the process was inefficient. But when I saw actual numbers, I was floored. Okay, this is not to say that your estimators are doing a bad job. Mine weren't doing a bad job. In fact, they were some of the best estimators in the business. But the process is radically inefficient and it's incredibly time consuming. And you have to find ways to streamline that and tighten it up if you want to be profitable. The other major cost that may not be showing up on your P&L is the amount of time that it takes to run and close out a job. Every day that job stays open is a day you are spending money regardless if somebody is actually on that job site. How much revenue is 1PM or superintendent able to recognize in a month or year? That metric is so important to know, to track, to measure, and to push. When I talk to others in the industry, a lot of time we are talking about the number of jobs a PM or super can handle at one time, and this is such a bad metric. It won't tell you anything. You could think you have a great PM because they are managing 30 jobs, but maybe they're the same 30 jobs that they've been managing for six months. You just lost money on all of them. The true measure is how quickly they can cycle through jobs. I would rather have PMs with 12 jobs that are cycling through them quickly than to have them be able to manage 30 jobs that linger. The difference in your profit margins will be staggering. And as I say it aloud, everyone is thinking, yeah, well, duh. But many times in the course of day to day, this is forgotten and days just slide. Actively pushing those jobs forward every day will take effort. It needs to be a full commitment from everyone on your reconstruction team. This is a great trackable number that your whole team should be aware of. And another time we will go into great ways to track metrics, how to use them, how to post them, how to adjust them as you move forward. But for now, just start where you are. Okay, so let's move on to the emergency service department. A metric that I love here is labor efficiency. Like the name suggests, this is the ability to track and measure how efficient your labor pool is. And you can use it with both your subcontract labor as well as your in-house labor. I have a great article coming out in March's edition of R&R Magazine. And we also did a breakout session at RAA's annual convention, which was remote this year. I will link a copy of that below in the show notes and you can take a peek at it. It will be easier to view this way because it does involve some simple math and you'll have some visuals that will be useful there. But knowing how to improve your labor efficiency will be hugely beneficial as you work to increase your profitability. And if you can dial it in while you're small, then you will have great advantage as you scale. A word about scaling. Something that is useful to know and be aware of are your cycles of growth. I will do a specific podcast on this topic and we can spend the full amount of time on it. But this was something that I learned later in my career that would have been so helpful earlier. 
So basically the principle is that you'll have these periods of growth and at regular intervals in these growth cycles, you are going to have to do a deep dive into your processes, your systems, and your people. Not making adjustments in these three areas will stagnate you and cause you to get stuck. These are always painful shifts for a company, especially if the philosophy has been, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But it is also true that what got you here won't get you there. You have to be prepared to make those hard moments of change, but that doesn't mean you should throw out metrics. Some of these metrics will carry you through every cycle of growth and give you some checks and balances to make sure you aren't sliding. Okay, another one of my favorite numbers is average job size. Do you know the average job size for every line of work? This number is wildly important and helps you focus on the right work. Some people get confused when I talk about this number and they think that focusing on this number, we are trying to push up estimates. This is not what I'm suggesting. Yes, you need to focus on your estimating and make sure you're writing a complete scope and that you are billing properly for the work you do. But this metric is more about focusing on the type, the right type of work and making sure that they are in your sweet spot window. A lot of us fall into the trap of wanting big jobs and those jobs are great when they come along. Don't get me wrong. And although they sound really great, they often aren't the ones that will have the best result to your bottom line, particularly if you're not set up properly for them. The same might be said for small jobs if you aren't set up properly. The time and expense that it takes to get to an agreed scope or document a small job may mean you simply are losing money just by stepping on the property. And you may have made the decision that you're fine just breaking even on these small jobs if it keeps your guys busy. That's a business decision you have to make. But also weigh the fact that anytime you focus on the work you don't want, it takes focus away from bringing in the work that you do want. This isn't a discussion about whether work is good or bad. That really depends on you and your company. It is simply about identifying your ideal client and doing the work to bring that type of job into the company. Average job size can be ideal for that. I have a bunch more that we can go through, but I do want to put a word of caution in here. I think that those of us who love to look at these metrics can be in danger of death by numbers especially if your team isn't tied into these numbers or has yet to see the value that they can produce. The other issue is that you can't focus on everything at once. Pick a small handful of key or core numbers that you want to improve or make shifts on and put your attention there. In our business, execution is everything. Knowledge is one thing, but being able to actually execute on it and doing something effectively is another. And the most powerful tool that you can put in place is the ability to laser beam focus on the key things and knock them out of the park. So I had a discussion with a friend about this not too long ago. His company has had a great year and their company is growing and setting new records for their organization. But this always hasn't been the case. They've had some really tough years, but he and his team have put in a huge amount of work. And so in the course of this conversation, he kindly was thanking me for some of the tips and knowledge that I've shared with him and things that they've been able to put into practice. I told him I'd be happy to accept a check and where to send it. (laughs) No, just kidding. What I actually told him is that he is rare and that his success lies entirely in his lap and the lap of his team. 
And I said, do you know, out of the hundred people that I share this kind of information with only a very small percentage will actually execute on it. We have so much knowledge at our fingertips, free information being given all the time, so much so that it can be informational overload. The key is just take a few small things and execute on them with precision and then move on to the next. And by the way, don't think that I did anything for him that he hasn't done for me. I have been the recipient of so much shared knowledge from individuals in the industry. Surround yourself with great people who are givers. It will pay such great dividends. It will pay such great dividends. Okay, another thing. Don't think that just because you solved the problem, it won't pop up later. (laughs) It absolutely will. You will constantly be playing whack-a-mole, taking on the biggest issue at the moment. The key is to be forward-thinking in the process instead of reactive, but the whack-a-mole doesn't go away. I think some of us have these fantasies that if you only solve these certain things, then your business will run smoothly. And it may run smoother than it does right now, but you will always have challenges that have to be addressed. Find your key numbers to get you where you want to be a year from now, and then laser beam focus there. As you can tell, I love this topic. It's one of the reasons that Accelerate was built. We were having such a hard time tracking our numbers in an easy format that we could use, and I knew there had to be a better way. If you and your team are in the same boat and you want to see just how easy Accelerate makes it to access these metrics, go to the show notes, click on the link, and schedule a demo. Thank you so much for joining me today as we restore your power to succeed.